Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I'll be your inspector morse of images, but without the beer and the jaguar, sadly. Every week I will be taking a new image and scrutinising it, pulling it apart and finding out what historical information it reveals. I'm an Oxford lecturer, broadcaster and writer, but most importantly, I am a lover of all things art historical. I'm never happier than when I'm up close and personal with an image. Today, I am joined by award-winning broadcaster and writer, Bethany Hughes, who has just emerged from 10 years of research on her new book, Istanbul, A Tale of Three Cities, which sounds absolutely fascinating, Bethany. Thank you. I have got a large coffee in front of me as (laughs) as we're having this conversation. So yeah, 10 years of research and and writing, but it's a a big old city with a big history, so it was worth the effort. Oh, I can't wait to read it. I'm really excited. And we are going to be looking at one image in particular. What's brilliant about the wonderful team at History Hit is they have embedded the image into the podcast. So if you click on the link, you should be able to bring it up in high definition. You'll be able to see what we're talking about. We've got something very exciting today, haven't we? We have the mosaic of Empress Theodora from the Basilica of San Vitale in Ravenna. Now, it might not be one that jumps into your head as one of the great hits of art, <laughs> but Bethany, there was a reason for picking this, yeah? There was. I mean, she's got a connection to Istanbul, which of course was called Constantinople, but as you say, this is from Ravenna, not from Constantinople itself. Um, I think this is one of the most important images in the story of art because this comes from, in a way, a time that man forgot. So we're talking about that period between around 300 AD and 1300 AD. And what we're looking at is this Empress Theodora standing resplendent in the centre of this mosaic. And she was one of the most powerful women in the world. She should be a household name. We should all know about her. She has the most extraordinary story. So that's why I thought it'd be worth having a chat about her. Yeah, two powerful women talking about powerful women. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to have some fun. And we've got three dark women as well, because Theodora's famously dark. So there we are. There's obviously something subconscious going on. Uh, yeah, we're, we're like for like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's give a bit of background, though. So um, uh, the Basilica of San Vitale is part of this amazing World Heritage Site in Ravenna, this wonderful area that time has forgotten almost, that used to be the capital of the Western Empire. And, um, and because of its later history, remains rather unchanged. It's like walking back in time being in Ravenna, isn't it? And the particular image comes from, as I said, the Basilica of San Vitale, which was finished in 547 AD. 
And the, this particular image is one of a pair. There's two that approach the apse of the basilica. And um, Theodora is on one side. Her husband, Emperor Justinian, is on the other. And the image measures about 8 foot 8 by 12 foot. And it's made of mosaic, isn't it? It is. And, and as you say, that date is really critical because the church itself is started around 527, 526 AD. But it's not completed for 20 years. And there's, there's a really critical reason for that. As you say, at the time, this is when Europe and the Eastern Mediterranean are in absolute turmoil. So the old Rome has fallen. The new Rome, the second Rome, Constantinople, has risen. And there's real churn in society. It's not clear who of the world powers is going to have the upper hand. And at this point, so in the 520s, you've actually got Ostrogoths in charge of uh, large parts of Western Europe, what used to be old Roman territory. Um, and the guys in Constantinople don't like this mm. one bit. They don't like it because it means that they've got less lands to call their own, but they particularly don't like it because the Ostrogoths are Aryan Christians. So they think of them as heretics and, they, you know, Constantinople is the centre of Christendom and they want to reclaim these territories for the one true God to be worshipped in the way that they believe is the right way to worship the divine. Um, so what's happened is that Justinian, as he said, who's on the other side of the church, staring at his lovely wife, mm. uh, Theodora, he's made it his mission really to kind of recapture the glory days of the Roman Empire. Um, and so he's, he's uh, embarked on this series of campaigns He's reconquered large amounts of actually both the East and bits of North Africa and Western Europe. And now, from 540 AD, he has got Ravenna. So what we're looking at in this gorgeous mosaic is Justinian the Emperor and his Empress Theodora really making their mark and proving to the world that they are back in charge. Mm, and there's so much going on in terms of the politics, the religious climate, as you say. It's a very complicated time. We think of the Ostrogoths giving name to this Gothic, <laughs> obviously misused, <laughs> but but the barbarian in a way. But it's all coming down to this this judgment on how to to look at the divine, the divine nature of Christ in particular, isn't it? So, Arianism focusing on the humanity of Christ, monophysite. Monophysitism. Help me out, Bethany. Oh, uh, it's so me. Mono, mono or my mono or meophysitism. Phytitism, That's it. Too many isms there. Um, and that is saying that Christ is more divine than human. And it's about this delicate balance, isn't it, in the natures of Christ? And it might not seem like such a big deal, but this is a deal breaker as far as political allegiances go. And it's it's playing out in the sixth century. Um, and then on top of this religious controversy, of course, you have the East and West empires and the idea that they used to be one that's what Justinian wants again isn't it he wants to reclaim part of the western empire as as his and, and really he's he's completely right to do so we we look at this i think kind of from the wrong end of the telescope so uh, we look at it from a very western perspective mm -hmm. to be honest you know that the roman empire of course of course it was based around rome but for centuries particularly in its latter half it was looking east and it was that was its field of operations and the new rome constantinople is an eastern empire so it's got land that stretches right the way over to the caucasus caucasus to azerbaijan down into um what you'd think of as land typically owned by the persians so what Justinian is doing is at, in the 6th century, talking the middle of the 6th century, when this beautiful mosaic was created, and they're in charge of an empire that covers a million square miles. It is 
enormous mm. and then the energy and dynamism and verve with which it is run is also quite extraordinary because as you say there's lots of religious controversy they are certain that they are right mm. and that they are ruling the world on behalf of God and I think we can see that in this beautiful mosaic so um, Justinian has a halo around his head Theodora who we're looking at now so his his wonderful empress queen has also got a halo around her head that's not saying that she is divine, but it's saying that her role as empress has its origins in the divine. So she is no mere mortal. And the more that you unpick both the story of Theodora and the way that she's represented, you can see that they are being really delivered to the world. I'd argue, we might argue about this a bit later, I don't know, <laughs> but I would argue it's almost as if um, Justinian is Christ himself, is the kind of the ju- judge in the court of heaven, and Theodora is his mother, the Virgin Mary. Virgin Mary, Mary yeah. Mary Or actually, again, Mary Theotokos, as she's been described by now, as Mary, the mother, the bearer of God. So this is a Mary who really matters. Absolutely. That's it. It's all about the the divinity of of rulership here on earth, isn't it? These are Christ's representatives on earth. And the whole scheme of the Basilica at San Vitale, it's an amazing building because, for a start, it's called a basilica. But basilicas are usually long, rectangular church buildings. This is octagonal. And it's... it's all about it's actually trying out a whole load of architectural devices that will later be really brought to fruition in Hagia Sophia in Constantinople but this is sort of a practice run if you like but the focus of all the decoration is this apse and in the apse is an image of Christ very youthful the rivers uh, the, the rivers of paradise flowing out from his feet he is haloed and there is a sense in which the figures here these secular rulers these imperial figures they are on a similar level with christ they're not they're not much smaller than him the proportions are that empress emperor and christ are all part of one collective divine presence aren't they and they're also wearing the same clothes so there's christ in purple silk and theodora in front of us has this gorgeous obviously represented in mosaic form gorgeous purple silk gown draped around her. I mean, she is such a luscious creature. Um, She's bedecked with these beautiful jewels, this wonderful crown, these kind of ocean fat, uncut gems. If you ever see the gems and the jewellery from the Byzantine world, they're amazing because we're used to stuff having all these facets, but actually they've got this kind of raw beauty to them. And just a tiny aside, um, the, the necklace that uh, Theodora is wearing in this, what's, uh, you've probably noticed this, it's really funny, it often turns up in Anglo-Saxon England. Absolutely, Desborough necklace. Desborough necklace, yes. it is. Yes. So it's like it's the, the women of Anglo-Saxon England going, look, I've got one very light, this this empress back they're all wearing this on the, on the catwalk oh, in Constantinople I mean totally 100% so she is, she's a beautiful creature Theodora bedecked and bejeweled um, it was there was there were very kind of strict sartorial rules at this time in the in the in the um, Byzantine court so Justinian both Theodore and Justinian had very lowly origins and so as often happens he wants to really distinguish himself and prove that you know he's upper class and one of the things that he says is nobody else uh, they can't bedeck their bridal wear or their horses or their or their clothes with uh, what is it with pearls and hyacinths and amethysts and so but what a lovely idea that that's what Justinian and Theodora are doing and you can totally see that here that she's she's really dripping with jewellery and the purple is so important isn't it is this Tyrian purple this stuff 
made from snails? Is yeah. It? It's well, a dye made from snails. It is. I can tell you all about that, Nina, <laughs> because I've gone and I've recreated the production of purple dye from these mollusks, these sea, <laughs> these sea snails. And it's the most disgusting process. Um, I had to go and, well, actually, this bit wasn't disgusting. I had to go and dive off the coast of Crete and get some of these snails. And then what they used to do is they used to sort of um, uh, factory farm them, actually. They just put huge numbers together so that the snails got stressed and they'd turn to cannibalism and they'd start to pierce one another's shells and that caused a kind of chemical reaction then you basically sort of smelch it all in human urine and oh. the purple dye comes out it's, it's utterly gross and you need something like 12,000 snails to make enough purple to dye the hem of a single garment so you can imagine the scale of this thing and why purple was therefore considered so rich and could only be the, the colour of empresses or of the of emperors or of the divine and that, that goes right back to the Bronze Age so we know from these Linear B Greek tablets um, there I, I love it it's called Wanax Purpura which is you know, the purple of the of the king and that's a tra- tradition that continues and the, and the Byzantines are very 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 keen on their purple yeah. so they have these purple silks as Theodora is wearing in this mosaic you see a bit more purple um, there with some of her attendants too and they were mad keen on this purple marble called porphyry, porphyry. yeah I was going to say empurpled manuscripts porphyry marble that's that's the sign of imperial power isn't it it is mm. yeah and you want to be buried in a porphyry tomb as well which which Theodora was mm, mm, yeah porphyry sarcophagus exactly yeah. uh, the, so the purple is very important the colour is very important she is as you say bedecked in these pearls pearls of course again the symbol of purity in many ways and associated with the virgin but Theodora herself not necessarily the purest pearl in the uh, (laughs) no I think we can very honestly say that and I say this in all support and respect for Theodora (laughs) our issue with Theodora is that we only have a couple of sources for her um, and they are fruity to put it mildly so um, what we're told of Theodora is that she started out her life in Constantinople around the Hippodrome she was the daughter of a prostitute and of a bear trainer and uh, keeper and that her trick was erotic gymnastic dancing which she did in order to entertain people in between chariot races at the Hippodrome it goes further um, we're told that she was um, she wishes she had more than three orifices mm-hmm. with which to pleasure the men around her um, and she had all kinds of uh, very saucy tricks which actually I talked to Dan Snow about so you have to listen to oh, he got he got to talk about the goose and the uh, did. ribbon did he, he did he went a bit quiet <laughs> <laughs> when we were talking about that <laughs> the idea that the geese are pecking the uh, bits of uh, well, well, grain yes. off Theodora's naked body, essentially. Well, yes, yeah. but it's all very tasteful because actually what she's doing is she's reenacting the story of Leda and the Swan. So when uh, the Queen of Sparta, Leda, is, is um, taken by Zeus in the form of a swan, and this is this is what Theodora reenacted. Anyway. Know, I'm so glad you said that because I've read that section from Pacopius' Secret History before and just thought, what is going on? But of course it's Leda and the Swan. That makes, that makes perfect sense. I was thinking of Emma Hamilton and her um, the, the the mimes that she used to do. Yes, uh, but but she's called a dancer, a mime artist. It's not just about the fact that that she may well be a courtesan or a prostitute. No. She is performing and she's becoming very famous. By the time she's 15, she's one of the most famous performers in the Hippodrome, isn't she? She she is. So she's um, uh, she's a very famous performer. She goes basically on a sort of tour of Byzantine territories and North Africa. I mean, I, I'm sure she slept her way to the top, mm. but fair play to her you know how else do you survive in this and it's a it's such a tough world and she becomes she's very clever she's clearly really 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 clever mm-hmm. Theodora um, and she becomes a spy as well so she sleeps with men for their secrets she manages to kind of work her way back to Constantinople 
converting to Christianity. Yes, she route, becomes a hermit for a while, doesn't or, or at least she subscribes to this hermit tradition that's taking place in, in Northern Africa at this stage. Yeah, so she's, and she hooks up with a group of Christians in Alexandria, So it, and they're quite radical Christians, so it sort of seems as though that's that's partly where her faith comes from might also come from the fact that Christianity is a faith of social justice and she's aware of that you know there are very interesting messages in it for her and it's entirely relevant because once she's come back to Constantinople whether it's through her power as a spy or her sexual prowess we don't know um, she catches the eye of Justinian the emperor the most powerful man in the world and he changes the laws of his empire so that Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He can marry an actress and she comes into the palace and then she is his partner. People, I think they were in love with each other. I mean, people talk about how they're a partner in business, um, in strategy, in politics and, and how embarrassing it was because they kept on kissing each other the whole time. But I think they, they, they you know, they just, they, they were an extraordinary pair. But what she does, why I love her, why I've, I'm so happy that we're talking about this beautiful mosaic, which is just beautiful in and of itself, but because of what it tells us, is that isn't this incredible? So we're talking about the middle of the 6th century AD. And pretty much as soon as she's in power, it looks like she tries to enact social justice and she changes laws in all kinds of ways. So uh, between them, they, they say that men can't get into debt without asking the permission of their wives twice, which is brilliant. Um, she uh, increases the penalties for rape. Um, she makes it harder to rape and then go away without being taken to trial. She sets up a safe house for prostitutes just across the water, the Bosphorus, um, in the city. I mean, what an incredible thing to do. I think it's it's so interesting. I'm sure you feel like this too, Bethany, but we always tend to look historically as, as that we are somehow the zenith, that we are yeah. standing on the shoulders of all the giants that have gone before. But in fact, you can look back to this period, but all through history, and find these moments of, of liberal change, of enlightenment. This is an enlightened partnership because there are no other rights for women up until this point. And yet Justinian is so responsible, isn't he, for cha- rewriting civil law to the point that it's still in place in some parts. It is. It's the, yeah, it's the basis, really, of, of, a, of a lot of our European law. So, no, they, they are fundamentally important. And, and there she is, putting women into the picture, writing them in, writing them in 
physically into the art historical record too because what is so notable about these these two facing mosaics is that actually of the two Theodora's is the more la- more luxurious the more bejeweled the more beautiful and, and shockingly um, lavish and wealthy of the two and she's surrounded by these female companions and we know that she probably had a retinue of around 4,000 a lot of those were women a lot were eunuchs as well so these were all women who mattered in the world I mean I think just kind of to have as a little kind of sidebar we shouldn't look at it with rose-tinted spectacles as well they were she also murdered people tortured people you know imprisoned them without trial all of this uh, it's just, rather Game of Thrones at times it, it, incredibly <laughs> so and Justinian's law code is kind of great for some people it's terrible if you're gay if you're Jewish you know uh, if you're any kind of a heretic so you know they they aren't um, uh, you know they aren't just sort of sitting in Islington kind of being <laughs> high-minded reading the Guardian, reading and, Guardian <laughs> and being high-minded absolutely not but you're right that she brings women back into the story and we hear these great great tales of her we're looking at these wonderful her train of women around her now kind of clustering together looking I don't know whether I'm being fanciful but just looking to me self-confident um, you know as if they're sure of themselves and well also as you say draped in these beautiful cloths but of course Constantinople was uh, the end of the silk roads so there were all these incredible materials that they had access to and uh, she goes off with them for instance to they go on these sort of bathing trips to the hot baths across the Sea of Marmara at a place that's now called Yalava and then up to what place that's now called Bursa and her baths Theodora's baths still exist there is a terrible irony I went there to try to sit in the bath and sort of commune with the spirit of Theodora and it's, it's men only in the bit that her bath is. I mean, there is a, there is a section for women, and I think actually it's nothing. This isn't this isn't being repressive. They actually gave the sort of nicer, slightly later Ottoman bit to to women. But I was, I found myself slightly weirdly hovering around the edge of these baths, <laughs> trying to peer in, sort of reassuring the men that I wasn't, you know, there. I'm a historian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All I'm interested in, chaps. Believe you me. <laughs> anyway, oh, so well, this is what this is what Theodore did. So she went used to go on these kind of great trains and you know have a lovely time. In which bath. is clearly she's clearly in in motion here as well i mean we should say some details of what we can see in front of us as well because um there's there's a procession of women these are out this is an outdoors scene i think which is quite interesting because if you compare it with the one opposite of justinian and his entourage they're clearly inside the church they're on against this gold background whereas we've got the sense that these women are processing into the church. They're going to go behind this curtain, past the fountain where they would wash themselves and then take part in this this eternal procession. And she is carrying the chalice. Justinian carries the patent that would have had the Eucharistic host. She has the chalice that would have contained the wine. And what this means, because, of course, the the real irony of all of this is that they never went to Ravenna. They right. would never have seen these images and they never physically set foot in this church. But by by putting them into the walls of the building, they have become part of an eternal procession, haven't they? They have. And it's beautiful. It's so dramatically rendered, as you say, that there's somebody just kind of two to the left of her who's holding back the curtain and there's this intriguing dark space that it looks like she's going to enter with that chalice. So it's a kind of brilliant narrative work, this. Very dynamic, as you said, but it's physically, it is physically setting her in stone, in the stone in, in Ravenna and proving that she has power there. And the and the, all those, as well as the imperial connections, exactly as you 
said, all the sacred connections, the fact that she's cradling this beautiful gold chalice in her hands tells us that she is connected to the divine through her role as sacred empress. And there's so much we can learn in this about about the fashions, about the material culture of the 6th century because yeah, that chalice, it's it's got those beautiful cabochons on it, hasn't it? Those big fat gems on it. And and as you said, you know, there's these parallels with, with jewellery that's found outside of Constantinople. This was cutting edge. This was what this was how women wanted to dress. And she's got the imperial purple, but but rather interestingly, on the hem, of course. There's the three magi mm. uh, picked out in this sort of gold thread. But again, this idea that she's bringing a gift. She is um, being cast in a sort of biblical guise. This is that weird sense of time being elastic. It's both a living person and someone who is part of this this sort of sacred narrative that, that that explodes time. She's she's a part of that too. Totally, totally. So you're not just in two times at once, you're in many times at once when you when you look at this image. Uh, it's been much debated what those three Moji are doing as the embroidery on the bottom on the bottom of her beautiful um, purple silk. Are they like her taking a gift into into the church? Is it just kind of mirroring that progress? Or again, subtly are they saying we the Magi brought their gifts to the Virgin Mary. This is the incarnation of the Virgin Mary, and this is we're bringing our gifts to her. So I think there's something actually slightly subversive Absolutely. theologically going on but also, there. I mean, that's the beauty I love about studying late antique art, medieval art. There's this idea of multivalence, the idea that multiple meanings can coexist, that those magi are mirroring the processions in here. But as you say, it's almost making Theodora into the Theotokos, the, the, the mother of God. Love that. Absolutely love that. I, I've got a very controversial suggestion about it as well. Is that mm. I also wonder if there's something even older and more pagan and prehistoric going on here um, that we all know uh, often people talk about the Virgin Mary sitting uh, with Christ, the Christ child on her knee and that perhaps this comes from the Egyptian images of the goddess Isis with Horus. I actually think there's something else. I I think that's too easy. I think that if you look, there's an amazing sun goddess. And as you know, it's usually a sun god, but there's a sun goddess from Anatolia um, who's very, very powerful from around 1500 BC onwards. And she sits in these beautiful bronze figurines with a huge gold halo staring out exactly like this with a child on her knee. So I actually think this might be Theodora as a long distant descendant of the Anatolian sun goddess. The halo, the fact that she's haloed is intriguing too. This idea, there's a, there's some controversy over the dating of this, isn't there? Whether it was either before she died or after she died. And am I right in thinking that the shell shape above her could be a sign that she has just recently died because this is a sort of martyr martyr's sign? I think that I think that's right. And actually, if you look at her, although she's strong, she's also very thin and yeah. pale and she died when she was only 48 and it, we think it was probably cancer possibly breast cancer and actually that might tell us why she was so keen to go and sit in those hot baths so often that she was trying to deal with the pain of of cancer so it she looks to me there is something slightly haunted about this image so i wonder if i wonder if it is actually a celebration of her after her death and what's interesting as well i think justinian didn't remarry did he no. and he didn't have any heirs no um because she didn't bear him any live children and and this idea that he saw himself as as someone forging forward building a new roman empire again 
And yet, without her, he didn't simply replace her. He he clung to her memory and had continued to commemorate her. And he actually poured his energies, didn't he, into building projects on, on a massive scale. He, yeah, he did. And he still, there's something very touching that for the years after she'd died, he always diverted the processions to go and light candles by her tomb, which is just, you know, a kind of remarkable thing. But as you say, very significant, because the Empress was thought of as as important a part of imperial control and, um, and that whole kind of statecraft as an emperor so significant that he didn't take and take a new wife and take a new consort i mean it it does seem that in this mosaic in this this series of mosaics inside san vitali that by writing themselves in alongside old testament characters new testament images symbols of the apocalypse and the end of days and christ they are part of this this large um spiritual narrative but that their love is being also commemorated. I think their love is being commemorated. I think there's no doubt about that, that they, both of them, Justinian came from humble origins as well. His, his uncle, who he inherited power from, was a, an illiterate swineherd for most of his life. So, you know, they, my goodness, this is the meek really shall inherit the earth in the form of, of these two. So I think it's celebrating their love. I think it's celebrating their slightly unorthodox approach to life. And we need to remember them because they, they reformed and one of the great things that they did is that they welcomed refugees into the city of Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. And they, they, they got it right. They gave over their palace to refugees. And they used to have to kind of put these extra um, sheets and things up in the, in the rooms as dividers because there were so many in there. So uh, there is a... There, there, I said they are not saints, even though they are actually saints. They are officially. <laughs> officially they were not saints in their lifetime. But they deserve our love and respect. And just to say a last little word about how this this image looks because I think to to people who might um, expect their art to come in the sort of watercolour landscape variety this is a rather startling artwork because it is of course made of little tesserae it is a mosaic something that we would traditionally I suppose associate with floor decoration uh, within within the Roman Empire but this up on the walls and using particularly lots and lots of gold and stylistically quite um, abstracted in a way, isn't it? It's not, they're not hyper-realistic. They're not shown with lots of delicate facial features. They've been almost transformed into these icons, do you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, and, and as you say, so there are mosaics on the walls. There would have been actually lots of paintings throughout the Byzantine world which haven't survived, but it's the mosaics that have survived. They're 2D because this is a time of Christianity where there's a, a, an anxiety about the graven image, which is why we don't have so many sculptures, but we have these flat, sacred images. And yet they've managed to cheat a little bit because the, the gold, the tesserae, are all put in at angles, so they would have reflected and bounced back. It would have been dancing with light from lanterns and candles and from the big windows in the church at this time but it is as you say it is it is slightly odd it's it's distinctly medieval and but that's one of the reasons that it was neglected that mm-hmm. people said oh this isn't proper these aren't proper romans because they aren't doing things in perfect figurative heroic nudes it's all a bit strange and flat and therefore primitive but then my goodness they are missing the trick Absolutely. because the byzantines know that they can do that and they've gone beyond that and they're being much more experimental with their art you're so right uh, this is the thing that always frustrates me that oh this is bad art it's just not as good as how the the classical artists did it but of course the the meaning behind this sort of art isn't about representing the perfection of the human body it's about the spiritual the symbolic the messages that this sort of art carries it's about seeing these figures not necessarily just as human but as part divine and the divine cannot be shown 
simply as flesh and bones. So, yeah, I mean, that's partly explains why, why there's all this glamour. I love what you said there about the tesserae, of course. They, the, the interesting thing when these mosaics have been excavated and really looked at up close is the technical skill that's gone into making these, the different uh, glazes that have made the different colours because there's so many vibrant colours after you know, a thousand, five hundred odd years. And then the angling that would almost make the figures look like they've come to life, like they are physically still processing in this eternal procession. So I think um, there's a lot to be said of it just purely from the technique basis. But she's an incredible figure. And I think if this mosaic hadn't survived, maybe we would not have the, the the real sense of who she was in quite such a way. The image helps us to understand her, would you say? Oh, it, I mean, it definitely, it draws us. It's, it's, it's as far as we know, it's the only surviving image that we have of her. So this is, this is Theodora. And it speaks to me of her extraordinary life, her fight against all of the odds to end up the most powerful woman in the known world. But more than that, this speaks to me of the power, not just of the body but of the mind and the spirit wonderful oh bethany i could talk to you all day um but it it's been so lovely to talk to you about this this mosaic i was delighted when you suggested it and it, it really does bring the history of constantinople of istanbul which your book will illuminate further into focus uh, i will be back talking to you about more artworks as part of the art detective series if you want to follow me you can on twitter my handle is dr yanine ramirez i'm on facebook too thank you so much to the history hit team the big brains behind this project and thank you once again dear bethany hughes this has been a pleasure total pleasure for me i'll be back mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.